0: oh man here we are we're here Trying to get my hands right. You look, like you're
1: an outer, you look like you're in outer space, by the way. Like, legit, <laughs> look like you're in outer space. Your high score is trash, but <laughs> you look like you're in outer space.
0: Did you play Galaga?
1: Of course. Who did, oh. Do you trust anybody who didn't play Galaga? Play? Oh, the
0: game is so good.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not very sophisticated, but I think that's the point.
0: No, but getting the two ships, here's the trick. There's, three, <laughs> there's, there's two rounds, and then there's a challenging stage. The trick is to get your fighter captured at the very end of the stage two so that it's perfectly lined up. To l- you c- kill the last alien that has captured your ship. And then it creates a double ship, and you are perfectly <laughs> lined up to destroy everything in the challenging stage and get a perfect score. Look at
1: that, you old strategist. Nice work.
0: Yeah, I don't, I didn't do much else. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i tell you right now, I mean I'm excited to talk to Colin, but the best part of this pod this episode is gonna be your like weird alien hands that just showed up all the time. I can't wait till you see those on video. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> it's a creep
1: show, but like it's fine. <laughs> hey.
0: This show is nothing if not creepy.
1: Yeah, we're creepy, man. We talk a lot of shit and then you know, we have a good time.
0: Anything else you want to talk about before we talk, Colin O'Malley? Yeah, man. Look,
1: there's a lot going on in the world. It's interesting times, and um, uh, you know, no, let's talk to Colin. He's more interesting than anything I've
0: got to let's, say. Well, so quickly, we'll team up really quickly. So, Colin is the founder and principal of this consulting group called Lucid Privacy Group. He's been an outsourced. Chief privacy officer for a long time. He was a founder of Ghostery, the app people use to oh, yeah. to pull uh, pull tracking signals on websites. He was uh, early on in um, what is now arc, but taking them from an association to a private company, raising funding, developing product. Like so, he comes at it from a product counseling kind of role, and uh, the guy gives really practical advice for that reason, because he's built product. And so yeah. some of the things that we do as privacy professionals uh, in, in the game, some of the most important things we do are, are um, advocate for privacy by design and actual product and feature development. And that's where he's he's yeah, that. I did
1: a panel with him years ago, like early stages of ghostry <laughs> days. And uh, I was super impressed just by like his depth of understanding of how data flows like like he just knows it and he's kind of humble about it but like he just knows it cold and really understands ad tech quite a bit well
0: his wife julie Julie, is the like product manager and engineer behind the nai's opt-out system
1: yeah. so what so you're saying is she
0: doesn't know much either so family family dinner talking about cooking yeah
1: process. family dinner on programmatic yeah that sounds fun yeah. over some broccoli and <laughs> yeah, they're, they're awesome
0: people that like colin is is a, has just over the years become a really good friend of ours and yeah. um just an advocate for privacy all over
1: so yeah he's a big boss man let's get him on here okay all right <laughs>
0: Colin is following oh, let me the- fix I so that we would catch Colin fixing his hair.
1: All right, <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: here we are. We're here. We're here with Colin. Looks like he's got coffee. It's early where you are.
1: I got there some coffee go. too, Andy. I think you're going to like this. Alice, Beautiful. I think you're going to like this.
0: Hashtag always be personal.
1: Hashtag <laughs> Getty. Getty. What is this called? It's not called a Tumblr. It's got some other name, but whatever. It's yeah, good. Those are
0: awesome. Yeti is Yeti, a hot seller in the Alice Marketplace. Uh, okay, cool. Yeti, cool. Yep. Colin, behind you, let's start. The picture behind you, I feel like I've seen it on your Twitter a lot. Is that
2: a picture you took while running? That's it. This is, it's it's um, Ocean Beach out here in San Francisco. So um, we live right in the center of the city, like the geographic pin drop center. And if you go east, you're heading towards downtown. Um, and if you go west, you're headed towards the ocean um and yeah that's my running destination when I, when I go for a run I'm trying to hit the ocean and then like I take my little snapshot it's my little you know tag and then I run back well, but you're a big, it's, a, it's a it's a place of zen for for us here in the city what's that I've
0: always been a big social media person so uh and that's that's actually one of the ways I first like met you I think and um you were, you were live tweeting at the NAI summit in like I don't know twenty. 17 or something and they had the twitter board (laughs) up there they had had like the live tweet thing going with the nai summit hashtag and i was like this guy's tweeting a lot and then who is uh at the cocktail thing afterwards and i was like oh you're the one tweeting so much with the sideways mets hat so so explain to us like you you're wearing a, a giant Jacket, like, gonna, yeah, let me get the back here.
1: Giants. The Mets, Giants, hey, the, which one? Were the Giants not play? What is it called now? Oracle Field, I think is what it's called now. Is that um, what it's called?
0: Colin goes there a lot.
2: Yeah.
1: What's that? What's that? Oh, he's throwing it all the way back.
2: Nice. There you go. There you go. See, everybody thinks it's a Mets hat, right? But the, the Dodgers and the Giants, they leave New York. They leave, uh, they leave that area of the city without a team. And so uh, the, the baseball gods uh, uh, gift New York the Mets, right? And the, the Mets decide on their re-entry, they're going to try to you know pull in that market that was left behind by the Dodgers and the Giants. They give uh, uh, they give the Mets the, the orange NY, and then Dodger blue, right? And um, you get the New York Mets.
1: I didn't know that. I didn't know that color coordination stuff. That's I'll a- tell you what, like I'm a big Dodgers fan ish. Uh I I just I LA man I don't know man it's that I know that they are like an institution in Los Angeles now but like as an old baseball history buff it just doesn't it doesn't ring to me to this day (laughs) 40 years old like I just feel like and I never saw the Mets in Brooklyn like I mean the Mets the uh, Dodgers in Brooklyn but like it just just seems like a Brooklyn team to me man wait so how did you become a Dodger fan Uh, Well, I'm from Miami. We didn't have a baseball team when I was a young, young kid. So I used to watch the Cubs a lot. Cubs play the Dodgers a lot. And I liked both teams. So those were my two kind of favorite teams until the Marlins came Mm -hmm. around. And then Mm -hmm. uh, was a Marlins fan for a long time as a kid, which is cool. because They won two World Series and uh, out of nowhere. And then I moved to D.C. 10 years ago or so and sort of embraced the Nats. So now I'm like a Nats guy. Mm -hmm in other words i'm not a very loyal fan and i just kind of move around
0: let me ask you a question Pedro. before we talk before we talk privacy this is really important were you a jeff conine fan
1: i love jeff conine all right so jeff conine
0: jeff conine is one of the classic marlins right mr marlin mr and marlin he goes to the orioles and i'm a big oriole fan i'm in baltimore and i was at a game and the orioles are very bad so the stadium <laughs> often really empty so I'm sitting one time in the lower side right by the first base and Jeff Conine is our first baseman it's so quiet because it's so empty you can hear everyone and so there's some pop fly that like is way out of Jeff Conine's reach and some fan like just yells at him like you know go get it Conine or something and, and, and I go like this I go like this like what and I turn around and, and Conine is looking right at me and he's just like you know, like yeah, we were like, <laughs> eye contact and we were both like like basically who the fuck is this guy? You know, this guy yelling. <laughs>
1: so I feel like
0: bonded to Jeff Conan because he's got the same sarcasm that, <laughs> that I appreciate.
1: Yeah, I like Jeff Conan a lot. Him and Gary Sheffield are like my super Marlins, you know. Like I love both those guys. I think of them as like quintessential. There's a couple other guys, but I think of them as like quintessential Marlins players.
0: So, Colin, is baseball like you obviously going with your kids a lot to games? Is baseball like, do you view it as a, uh, an emotional respite from all of the, the work and the privacy stuff that you're doing on a day to day basis? When you get away to the field, do you find that you can fully like unhook and detach or are you like out of the game? It's just, you know, baseball is like you're sitting there, it's a long time. You're like, do, you, do you, how often do you drift to work or are you able to escape from it? <laughs>
2: Well, you know the, the, the ballpark is 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 really beautiful and so I often find myself sort of getting there in a bit of a hairy kind of mess you know because uh, uh, we, we work a lot we're very busy like, just like you guys are um, and it's hard to carve out that time um, but it's uh, it definitely when I get there it, I, I can I can kind of zone out and uh, you know look at the bay you know get involved in the game like the, it's a, as you said it's a sort of a slow moving game with a lot of kind of subtle moving parts um, and it's a great thing with 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 the kids. So we have um, you know a, a small fraction of season tickets out there, which is why we're there a lot. And it's always a pair. And I've got three kids and a, a beautiful wife. And so like I'll 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 just sort of take take the wife, take one of my daughters, take my take my son. We sort of move in a rotation through the family. Um, and that actually is some of the uh, some of the best kind of one-on-one time that I that I spend, especially with my with um, my kids. My son also is. Um, Uh, a little leaguer so like having him like watch these guys you know uh is is super super helpful do you if i were in that
0: situation i'd be like still thinking about work unfortunately and like if someone struck out i'd be like uh we really struck out on that privacy impact assessment
1: earlier (laughs) i I don't buy that for a second but (laughs) i will say that, like, you can't get away from privacy issues even at a baseball stadium these days, right? Like, your phone is logging onto the Wi Fi, whether you like it or not. Like, there's just so many things happening to go to a sporting event that are sort of invasive. That I do think about that. I really do think about that when I go to large venues. Like, okay, well, I know my phone's getting tracked somehow, whether or not I log on this Wi Fi. Like, you know, it's getting
2: technology here
1: somewhere. All the facial recognition stuff. I'm probably on TV. Like, all of this kind of like random stuff that happens at games now that is just like not my favorite
0: we got a lot of inquiries um at at, at my last company or maybe it was data zoo i forget about like live events venues specifically concerts and things about how to utilize the data that comes through there um and and we didn't know what to do in a lot of those a lot of those circumstances we didn't do a lot of it but i definitely
1: well, oh, Sorry, Andy. I thought, like, what's the there's a Netflix documentary about a guy who like proved his innocence by being at, at a baseball game. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, yeah, I think it's called uh, The Long Shot. I, I'm not positive, I, I, I'll i look it up while we're talking. But some dude gets accused of a crime, he's at a Dodgers game when the crime happens, and they have to like scan all of the footage to find his face on the uh, at the baseball game. Turns out he was there, like, it's not possible that. He was, um, uh, 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 the, I think it was a murder. So like, it's not, he didn't commit the murder. He was at a baseball game when the murder happened. And certainly, so like, yeah, yeah, certainly
0: yeah. heard this story about the Alexa that was collecting data, right? During, during uh, uh, the commission of a crime, right? So I guess that's a good place to kick off, Colin. Like, what did you think when you first saw that like Illinois biometric law and, you know, what did you think at first when you saw that? And what did you think about like the implications of that? I mean, you're you're reading about all this stuff as it comes out. Did you have thoughts there when it came out? Yeah,
2: I mean, I have to tell you that the 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 first thought, as with a lot of these sort of like specific laws that cover you know narrow applications of technology in a particular state, was, man, it would be nice to have a comprehensive baseline privacy legislation <laughs> in this country, you know. Um, it's so hard to manage this stuff on a point basis. It's it's so frustrating that every one of these laws sort of approaches um, privacy with sort of a fundamentally different um, baseline uh, set of assumptions about what privacy actually means and and the relationship of of, of the government and 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 um, and consumers etc. You know, um, so so that's that's got to happen. I think that there, there's there's sort of a growing consensus among privacy people that it's absolutely necessary um and and we have actually industry lobbying for it uh for the first time um yeah, that, that that i can remember hopefully that that'll happen um you know the 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 i think that the facial recognition stuff is is it's incredibly important you know and i i think that a lot of ways that legislators are are, are locking onto one of the places where they can see the privacy implications and the, and the social justice implications being really glaring. Um, and um, they're, they're sort of uh, looking for a point solution to, to a, a clear problem, um, which is one of the reasons it's frustrating that we don't have comprehensive um, legislation because it's, it's, uh, it, these same issues play out everywhere. Um, and, and you know, down to base, basic, you know, cookie da- data and you know, uh, behavioral targeting, and and you know, the, the sort of classic area that, that that we've done business in for a long time.
0: That brings me to an interesting question. Like you said, industry pushing for it. I mean, I do think there's lots of companies pushing for for a federal privacy regime in in the ad tech world with the Network Advertising Initiative and the and the Digital Advertising Alliance. You know, traditionally, I think those organizations were sort of formed to stem the tide of, of potential regulation, but I think, have they flipped, it's been a while since I've been in there, have they flipped their stance on like, what they would like to see in, in a law, and how does, how do those associations view it?
2: Yeah, so the, the associations, you know, the nature of an association tends to be um, that they are you know, looking after the interests of the industry, obviously, and and you know setting rules that are, um, sort of the lightest rules that the industry can can uh, survive without interference on. <laughs> um, and, and that certainly was the case in in uh, sort of the initial stages um, of, of, of of the NEI, and, and then the DAA as it came in, into being. I think that NEI rules have been a bit more proactive than than the D A A rules. Um, they, they're all you know, the DAA and in support of privacy legislation, the baseline legislation, and, and that comes, I think, from a couple of, of, of rationales. One is that, um, anytime you have a, a bunch of state bills that are, that are, um, you know, now, uh, officially law and coming onto the docket, um, you have industry, um, concerned about um, rules that are um, disparate and don't cohere well, and 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 make compliance, you know, a pain in the butt. And uh, so you, you look for pushes for preemption, right? So if we have an opportunity to preempt these state laws, and there's no question that we, we, have a, we want a federal law to to simplify compliance and to have a national standard. Um, and then also, there's you know, there's a there's a, um, a sense of timing on this that's quite important as well. The especially with a, a unified democratic government in D.C., it's increasingly likely that the Whatever federal standard emerges is going to be uh, something pretty close to an amalgamation of all the various state standards that have emerged um, uh, prior. Which means, which means that the faster you get that federal standard in, the, the faster you sort of preempt another half dozen laws that might have, you know, ornery, you know, uh, uh, components um, uh, or maybe you know, private right of action or. or Know, you know, having forbidden opt-in standard or you know, like like significant additional incremental components that end up having to get baked into a state law, uh, sorry, to the federal law in order for that federal law to get passed.
0: How do you look at that, Pedro? Like, I know we've talked I, a lot about that and about like uh, the, the
1: the speed. I mean, look, I, I it's it's you have to look at it from I think different perspectives, right? Obviously, I think what Colin just articulated is like the way I would think about it at work, right? Like I, you know, I work for a big company and, uh, or it doesn't matter the size of the company, but like I work for a tech company and this will have a lot of impact on the way we do business. And it's important that the law be balanced and, um, you know, allow business to proceed in at least reasonable ways. But then I take it off and I'm just like Joe Schmo on the street. And I actually, if I'm Joe Schmo on the street, I actually want all of this uh, kind of like cornucopia of experimentation of laws because it is most likely to lead to the most protective outcome for me right and so like i think it just depends on who politicians are working the most for this is my personal opinion but like do you,
0: do you really think that joe Schmo in
1: the street looks at it that way or are you saying no, i don't think joe Schmo like sits down and thinks about it But like, I think it's what I never want to patronize anybody, but as a citizen, I want when laws are about my rights to be the most rights preserving as possible, right? And I'm not thinking necessarily as an individual in the context of like business flow and like technology and, you know, corporate profits. And so when you look at it through that very narrow lens of the right of the citizen, yeah, like that's what I think is the most like re- restrictive way to look at this. Now, I think it's the politician's job to weigh that against other things that might be more abstract to individual people, like the tremendous benefits you get from scale on the Internet and freemium services and how they're directly tied to the monetization of data and, and all of these other things. Um, I don't mind the experimentation process as much as – most people do. What I do not want is an outcome where it's impossible to comply because that's not meaning that like there are overlapping rules that contradict each other and can't be harmonized or reconciled. Like that's not a good outcome for the, for businesses. And it's not a good outcome for consumers. It also like in the United States specifically, one of the problems with like having like state by state laws is like when it's tied to rights specifically is the idea that an American company would treat a California resident different than a Massachusetts resident is to me, ridiculous, <laughs> right? And so we've got these kind of tricky outcomes that can happen when you don't have a federal uh, law that we'll have to deal with if we end up ultimately without one.
2: Patriot, I think that's, that's, that's very well very well said. I, and I think that you're you're certainly right that in general, sort of the, the the experimentation that's going on is going to result in more different types of protections, which sure. ultimately, while a pain in the ass to to businesses, is is going to be you know uh, a more protective outcome for uh, for consumers. I, I think the 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 advantage of the of the federal law for the consumer ultimately, you know, really is going to be is going to depend on on the quality of that federal law, (laughs) right? So so if it becomes sort of a a heavily lobbied way of trying to um, uh, uh, preempt all state laws and effectively create a uh, um, a, 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 a rigorously negotiated sort of minimum <laughs> federal standard that's going to be a terrible outcome uh, for consumers. It's going to be simple for businesses and it's going to be a terrible outcome for uh, uh, for consumers. And it's also going to be, I think, just uh, terribly short sighted. Like we'll look back on this in 10, 20 years with, in, with growing embarrassment that the, the United States has created a an environment that is uh, um, so clearly behind the curve was behind the curve when the law was passed, and it only becomes more so over time. And I think that in a lot of ways, what you're seeing with this sort of globalization of the GDPR standard—I mean, really from 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 our standpoint, operating with within companies—it really sort of felt like outside of the the, the large global players, and even to, to a certain respect with uh, uh, th- those players as well, you know. There was there's this view of GDPR as a sort of strange European animal, and we're going to sort of isolate our compliance operations related to the GDPR to Europe, and then we're going to try to continue to run as fast as we can everywhere else uh, uh, without that kind of overhead. And over time, you know, while American companies in particular were sort of myopically focused on their own market, carving out Europe, you know, GDPR-like standards you know, flowered in all these other places around the world, and then kind of a little bit penetrated into California with the CCPA and CPRA, and now folks are, are really behind the curve. But that general standard of privacy is a fundamental right, and companies needing to take precautions and needing to sort of rationalize their use of, of, of consumer data is, I think, very clearly uh, the way of the future and if, if the federal standard can embrace those types of fundamental views of, of, of privacy, I think that, that, that'll be progress. And the state laws that we're seeing right now, really, at least in my view, tend to be sort of narrow and hastily constructed, um, such that they might result in a, a, a dozens of, 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 of individual protections, but still don't address sort of the fundamental uh, uh, problem of by default, you should you should be balanced and and uh, and transparent uh, with with your data use.
1: You know, what's interesting to me is that like, and I think you're fundamentally right. What 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 I I'm watching emerging technologies like privacy enhancing techniques, you know, pets, whatever, um, starting to and and AI ML uh, starting to kind of uh, I don't want to say replace the need for broad sweeping data collection, but like create protections and controls so that people's personal data isn't used to deliver the outcomes that we're used to like personalized uh, content and, and individualized ads and individualized experiences that people actually do like, um, as these techniques emerge and make, for example, like if you could deliver a fully personalized contextual experience to someone without using their personal data and monetize that experience to somehow right or gdpr potentially wouldn't even apply to the entire processing of it if it's not using uh personal data right and so it'll be interesting to me in 10 years or so when these technologies are fully developed and adopted and working if they reach the scale and scope that i think some companies wish for And you could essentially say, thank you, GDPR, but GDPR doesn't apply, we're not using this data, it's anonymized, whatever. Um, Whether we'll see another wave of regulation that will reveal the true intentions of all of this, which is less about protecting people and maybe more about, uh, uh, you know, like market cap and, and, and profits related you know, exorbitant profits. I don't know. I mean, that's just a theory I have, which is like, I'm not so sure that some of the like most passionate privacy advocacy is really uh, rooted in privacy protections um, and more rooted in other things that are sort of tangentially related to privacy. And I think pets in particular will help reveal that if I'm right.
0: Yeah, I think cynically, you could look at that and say none of it none of those privacy laws in, in states that have been advanced have have maybe the ccpa there's a component of that because of the way that came came out but follow-on
1: laws let's go with florida right? I'm, right I'm from florida florida has no business trying to advance a fancy privacy law the, you know, the state government is extremely anti-government, okay, and, and it, you know, and the governor doesn't even believe in COVID, nevertheless, and sensible regulation, and, and so, like, them advancing a privacy bill through the legislature, to me, is a vanity project to just not get left behind on a topic that's sexy, and so, um, and, and about attacking Facebook because of other political reasons, not just Facebook, social media, because Twitter, Facebook, Google, because of other political reasons. And I think that that is how some of these privacy laws are coming. I think Andy's right, not all. And some legislators and some states really do care about this issue and have a long-standing record of trying to protect people's privacy. Florida's not one of those states. Now, I'm I just want to be super clear, and I never say this on the podcast, but I'm not talking on behalf of Facebook. I'm talking as a Floridian who has lived in Florida for a long time and watched Florida government operate. I just think, yeah, you know, it's kind of full shit.
0: It's relatively safe, like politically, it's it's relatively safe in the sense that. You can advance it. It's got a sheen of morality on it and I'm doing something good. The the constituencies that they are in theory, quote, attacking like big tech, like have have armor, you know, and and can deal with it and they're not going to take any political flack for it realistically yeah. you know and and so and if you're
1: in one of these redder states like it's super in fashion to attack california companies and super in fashion to attack big tech and censorship and some of these other things and, and i think some of those state vanity state privacy vanity laws are rooted in that not so much in like let's ask privacy.
0: pedro let's ask Colin this about california you live there like what do you see from the people you know, in California with respect to the CCPA, like if you're walking down the street, you know, uh, on your way to a Giants game and you tapped 10 people and asked them about the CCPA, I mean, I gotta guess most of them never even heard of it.
2: Uh, That is definitely true. Um, If you you tell people about the law or, or, or just, you know, tell them that there is this law, um, folks are generally very complimentary. And, and I, I get this a lot inbound just from friends and family because people know me as the privacy guy in, in, in my sort of social circle. Um, and they'll ask me about it, but they'll, they'll, they'll generally come to it with a, with a, with a positive um, uh, first impression, um, like, oh, that's great. And maybe it's sloppy, but that's not my problem. Um, you know, in general, sort of what Pedro was saying, it, it, it means more protections than I had before. And I and I and I feel like my I'm I'm being I'm being used in some way, um, and and uh, this is some some level of protection that I, that I didn't have before. I I want to go back though to, to to something that um, well two things actually. Uh, um, Pedro, you said one is let's just let's just recognize that that the Pedro acknowledged how sexy our industry is. Um, uh, it's 100 <laughs> correct. Uh, it's, we sure. it's
0: the sexiest. It's,
2: you opinion people. that one is to hang it up on the wall. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no, that, easily, nothing says that uh, on
1: guard, like privacy, I'm mean, yeah. like, uh,
0: The sexiest compliance area. No question, no question.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: the the, the, the second piece on, on- That's an American oxymoron technology that, technology. That's, that's a full oxymoron. There's no such thing as like sexy <laughs> compliance area. Yeah,
0: Hey Pedro, <laughs> that, that should be our t- a shirt like- yeah. f- <laughs> <laughs> let's
2: get all
1: riled up about compliance you guys that that doesn't ever work but there I, we sorry, go. go. go who
2: knew <laughs> compliance could be this sexy there we go yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, with respect to perhaps enhancing technologies though and this whole sort of direction of of utilizing effectively recreating marketing applications uh, without the use of personal data personal information um you know i think we're all we're all seeing a lot of that um right now and it has the feel to me of, of the way that, uh, I mean, just, just going way back to, we're all familiar with the, you know, the double click advocacy, day, advocacy days when you know, the, the, the principal concern that, um, that the, at least the FTC had at that point was um, the combination of PII with, 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 with cookie data. And that was thought of as kind of the third rail. And as long as industry was able to sort of avoid that, um, then it could go on, you know, pretty much um, unregulated, provided that it had you know, uh, privacy policy disclosures and a and a, a cookie based opt out, and and what what began to emerge over time was oh it looks like you can actually produce you know individual level targeting what feels like you know um, uh, uh, like natural person level knowledge, uh, without actually having natural person level knowledge, um, and that part of what happened over the ensuing ten years in my view is that. You know the that that feeling of being affected by the advertising, that feeling of being washed based on the marketing messages that you were receiving, um, unfolded. You know, uh, pretty much unabated um, over over the following ten years, and increasing levels of sophistication until kind of the dam broke, and policy remedies were needed to address the feeling that consumers had as a result of, in part, these 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 these, these marketing messages, and and this new move to effectively you know, um, render the, uh, 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 these methodologies sort of um, unregulated or very lightly regulated by sort of ducking under the threshold of the, of the, of the data categorization that is effectively regulated, while replicating virtually all of the, of the marketing messaging use cases um, to me is, is, has that same feeling and will un- inevitably produce the same result, which is to say, um, 10 years from now, we're going to find ourselves with consumers feeling just like they feel right now, um, uh, with, with industry saying, yeah, but, you know, there's less data sharing, and yeah, but we don't know exactly who you are, uh, to which consumers, like, you know, have no idea what that really means or why that makes a difference, um, and we're going to have another pol- set of policy remedies to address how consumers feel yet again.
1: You know, what's also interesting to me is like, again, sometimes, and Andy and I have had this conversation a lot, I worry sometimes that like our privacy, like the privacy industry, and that includes everybody, that includes like us on the inside of companies, it includes regulators, it includes civil society, it includes uh, advocacy groups, whatever. Sometimes I worry that we're like out of touch. Back to Andy's question about Californians on the street with like people's expectations and what people actually want and demand because their behaviors is what we should be looking to as a guide, right? And so when I think of an app like Clubhouse that emerged on the scene during the pandemic and how it's not, it literally sort of ignored all of the things that, you know, we say that a good app needs to start with like privacy by design, not there. Um, Transparency, not there, Uh, you know, user control not there uh whatever i mean you, there's a million privacy problems with that app and it was built to scale and scale as quickly as possible and, then, and at the expense of essentially like some of the like norms that other social media companies have had to adapt uh, adopt um uh, you know over the years people came to clubhouse in droves like in droves and and, and i think I mean, I mean, I'm included, so like, you know, I built up a following of thousands of people on Clubhouse over the course of two months, and I knew that a lot of that following had to do with the fact that, like, I couldn't control who sees my profile, I, I couldn't control who listens to me speak, I, you know, these kind of things, and people, like, are, are we, are we as privacy professionals, like, sort of out of touch with the real world and living in this, like, theoretical place where people care about this more than we think they do, or... Or is like, or or are we just ahead of the curve, and the experts, and we should dictate to people what is right and wrong here, or what's appropriate and what's not? What are your thoughts on that? I, so first of all, I. I've- we, we tend to view consumers
2: as too much of a monolith in general right like you, you take a particular use case and the argument is either consumers and, and the, the the counter to to clubhouse would be something like signal right people coming you know in droves towards an application that is sort of fundamentally positioned as a as a privacy sort of secure application um you have use cases all, all, all across the map to, to illustrate that consumers care about this deeply and that it drives behavior and that consumers give away their data freely and don't give a give a hoot. And then free, also you have um, this sort of bell curve of of attitudes, right? You've got like some portion of the audience that that truly does care about this deeply in all environments. Um, and uh, 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 I, I think we need to recognize that just like um, uh, you know in other areas like in, in political or or demographic areas. Um, uh, there are different sets of people that respond to this differently. And if you view privacy as a fundamental right, then your, your, your focus is not on ensuring that you have a particular approach to privacy that works with most people, but that you're able to cater to a diversity of attitudes towards privacy and make sure that the, even if it's a minority view, that everybody has privacy rights, even if most, most are, 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 are happy to, in most cases, um, uh, give them away but i also think for us as a as as professionals it's it's just that we are single issue focused most of the time and it's not that that issue is the most important or doesn't matter it's just that we're focused on that single issue and as you sort of illustrate Pedro there are other issues as well, other motivations that consumers have as well that, that sometimes come into conflict or for many people override their privacy concern. And it doesn't mean that they didn't we sort of use that within the industry a lot to say that's why we can tell that consumers don't care about privacy. And I don't think that's true. I think it's just that the other issues, other motivations overwhelm the privacy concern at that point and may 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 overwhelm in a sustained period of time. Maybe you know you it's it's the interest in the new and the desire to build up a following is just more important than your privacy concern at that point in time. It doesn't mean that your privacy issue concern has disappeared. And it doesn't mean it's responsible for an app to leverage the fact that you are overridingly interested in building up a following to abuse
1: your privacy. I think, yeah. I think right. And, 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 but one thing I think is important pointing out about like the emergence of signal and I'm an early signal adopter, in fact, I think I brought lots of people on the signal years ago. Um, I'm also a very heavy WhatsApp user, and I don't just say that because I work at Facebook, like WhatsApp is just an easy app to talk to people all over the world. Uh, but signal didn't emerge because people got super excited about its privacy protections. That signal was marketing. It, it emerged because there were missteps in other apps, like WhatsApp that brought attention to Signal, right? And so I think, but for the WhatsApp kind of like issue a few months ago, Signal doesn't get 50 million users in 30 days. And so it was really the, the misstep or, or or miscommunication and what I, misstep's actually not the word I'd use because what I really think happened is that like bad information got memified about WhatsApp. And that led to um, what I think was some unfair criticism in the media, which led then to the media telling people go use signal and that's why people went and used signal um and 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 their numbers grew substantially but Signal's got its own problems right like you know abuse on that platform is is, is a real thing like if nobody can figure out who's doing what and who's saying what like the uh, you know the propensity for misuse harmful use terrorist use you know use to co- coordinate violence is, is is significant and then the other thing is as signal is scaling it has pressure to have the same features as other apps, which almost always come at the expense of some privacy. Like you can't do groups without people knowing that there are groups, like you, and who's in the groups, and you know whatever. And so these kind of things. And so like I, I say that all not to criticize Signal, and again, I've been a Signal user for many years and will continue to use the app for certain reasons, but uh, for certain like groups and certain topics. Um, but um, I, I do think that companies and, and organizations like WhatsApp and Signal, which are very different but make a similar product, have to constantly weigh the like uh, the, the you know the need to protect people's privacy and give them control and, and and be transparent against other interests that also protect people, right? Like like protecting people from bullying and violence and protecting children from creepos and all of these other things that are important. Like, what mechanism could an app like Signal use to like uh, you know uncover like the exchange of child pornography? You tell me. Do we care about, like, stopping the proliferation of child pornography? I think the answer is yes. If, you know, how do we implement some sort of enforcement mechanism or, you know, way to try to address that problem without knowing that it's being shared and what the contents of the materials are and who the shares are? Like, these are important things that are actually at tension with privacy, and we need to consider them, too. Like, privacy is not absolute. It, it lives in a in a bag full of interests and risks, um, and, 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 and I think... Uh, I think, sorry,
0: sorry, just to, like, what you're saying is really interesting. Like, I think we 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 often talk about the consumer, I think Colin mentioned this before, like, talk about the consumer and sort of this big generality around their privacy expectations. And I think what we're actually talking about is the fact that it's nuanced and so much so that they have different expectations with respect to data privacy, with respect to their privacy on an app like WhatsApp, or signal with respect to their their data privacy when they're uh, getting served a retargeted ad versus like their general concept of feeling like they should have privacy. Like, cause I think we all, it's all too bundled together in some sense where it's like, there should be a national privacy law. Well, there should, but what is it protecting against, right? Like people do have a fundamental sense that like, I should feel private about my conversations with my with my wife or you know certain things or activities that i might be undertaking you know to your point pedro about the way data is used in the internet for certain things but i think there's just a real disconnect between the assessment of what a, a quote consumer thinks um about privacy versus like when you narrow and narrow and narrow into like data privacy and into advertising or into you know other areas. So I think we're not doing a good enough job of addressing the reality of that situation, that a consumer has a nuanced viewpoint on privacy and they feel, um, they may feel their behavior won't reflect their true sort of feelings about privacy, right? Because if I don't opt out of tracking, if I opt whatever, I use an app and I opt into tracking or, I, or vice versa, it doesn't necessarily say, of course, like, that I don't care about privacy uh, as a, as right. a topic. And I think like, there's a lot of extrapolation of that concept or, or like pushing of that concept out there where I think really what you're saying is is dead on accurate which is like, we're just not seeing the numbers of, of, or rather we haven't historically seen like a lot of activity that shows us data which delivers to us, you know, the idea that people hate ad tech, like we don't see that. And we just see continued use of the internet and certain behaviors. But what we do see is like people raising issues and ideas and fears and challenges around like bad content, content moderation, things that are coming through and the way data is used by a corporation in certain ways and wanting rights and transparency around that. So I just don't think we've gotten to a good place to assess the consumer yet.
1: And think about this one thing. I think Colin made this point earlier, like consumers is not a homogenous group. Right. Um, And people think individuals think differently than each other and groups of consumers think differently than each other. North Americans are going to think about these issues different than people in Brazil versus people in China versus people in wherever. But, 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 But just think about this, like when you think about teenagers and like their use of Snapchat, it's through the roof, like teenagers love Snapchat. Right. Um, I don't think it's because the yellow ghost is cute or whatever. Like, I think it's because the ephemeral nature of the messaging makes them feel protected from like their parents gaze, from their teacher's gaze, from a screenshot and getting shared or whatever. Right. And I think that's great. And that demonstrates that teenagers have some sense of privacy. Teenagers have always been like that. Before Snapchat existed, it was closing the door in their room or like keep putting the curtain down or whatever it is like. Skeletons in the closet at the party, or whatever, right? And so, like, it, it, chill, it, like teenagers have always had this sense of like, I need to do things outside of my parents and teachers and adults' gaze. We shouldn't build apps for that, though, because parents have the opposite interest. And. The society has decided that children don't have privacy when it comes to their parents and parents should be able to probe any part of their child's life, well not any, but most parts of their child's life and determine what they can and can't do. And so the idea that, we, you know, like children's privacy is absolute and there should be the most controls in some cases rings true, like maybe in the context of advertising or maybe in the context of targeting or maybe in the context context of like um, individualized content but maybe not in the context of messaging, for example, or phone calls. And parents should have a view into who their children are talking to and what they're talking about and what they're sharing um, and not make it inaccessible. And so there's an example where one group of people, children, um, in one context, you might wanna protect them as much as possible. In another, it's the exact opposite. Like you don't wanna give them as much privacy because that's how they get in trouble.
0: This is a good question. We have to end soon. But so Colin, as a parent, right, a, a privacy, person and a parent. A privacy parent. A, parent. A, a privacy parent of kids. Of at and, least one
2: uh, teenager and uh, yeah, two exactly
0: exactly so like how have you thought through this stuff?
2: It's complicated um, but I, I think it's it's important that our kids uh, are able to grow up uh, feeling like they have a sense of privacy and feeling like they have a sense of autonomy and I think you know the, w- the way I would articulate the 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 sort of tension in sort of rights and the sort of somewhat sloppy kind of binary at least from a legal perspective of, of the of the parent having ultimate ultimate control until 18 and then suddenly uh child is no longer a child and 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 the parent has no right to sort of have any 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 view but i think it's it's more for nuanced than that i w- I, w- I would say you know that the, the parent you know legally ultimately can trump if there is if there is conflict in, in until 18 but you know throughout childhood you're sort of you're growing this sense of autonomy in the child, and giving them a sense of protective space, and and more and more lightly leveraging that authority um, uh, as a parent. Um, I, I think um, you know there are uh, with online bullying, and and um, you know the way that that the sort of kids grow, uh, or sort of uh, gang up on each other and evaluate each other, and also the way that adults creep in <laughs> into children's spaces. Um, there the, you have to be involved and and sort of have have an awareness of, of, of what tools your, your your kid is using and and and, and that is definitely true but it, you don't want to give a, a kid a sense that um, that their parent is constantly hovering on, on, on top of them online or you're going to end up really distorting <laughs> behavior in ways that are not healthy uh, and also just undermining a sense of personal space uh, with with the
0: Last thoughts, Pedro, before we sign off? Yeah, I do can, want to share.
2: Can I address the, 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 um, the, the, the monolith, you know, uh, come one more time. Yeah. The, the, the other thing that we're seeing a lot, especially as you goes sort of interdisciplinary and you look at other people evaluating privacy concerns from outside of the privacy domain, um, and this confuses a lot of privacy people as well, is this use of sort of marketing metrics and startup adoption metrics as an illustration of or generally as a validation of, of that that consumers don't care about privacy, um, and I, I again I think that the issue is that privacy fundamentally is not really it was not designed to be used as a way to evaluate majority opinion. It was established really as a as a as a, um, a as a way of defending the interests of generally sort of minority populations, and by minority here I just mean sort of not the, the, um, uh, you know, the majority of people moving in a particular direction and they don't seem to have a lot of concern about this, but there's a minority population at any given point in time that is thinking about these issues and wants to make sure that their interests are protected. And in that environment, when you look at sort of um, marketing metrics, and you you look at you know the uh, an app spreading like wildfire, or eighty percent of the population behaving in a way that fundamentally does not seem to illustrate privacy as being a a fundamental concern, you you find your your, yourself justifying the trampling of the rights of the folks that actually have an active concern in privacy. And so it's just important that we look at the right metrics, and that we don't look at that we don't use adoption of marketing metrics to stamp. Uh, stampede over 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 privacy rights.
1: I think that's good. I, I also think that like a lot of the notions of privacy that trickle into laws that apply broadly, like and and in some cases globally, are uh, full of Western norm white male normative notions of privacy, um, and they're not universal. And there are different places in the world where just the way we think about privacy or privacy is considered and thought about as where it fits in people's lives is extremely different and we're also losing touch with the fact that like uh i think uh we carve out exceptions for governments all over the privacy laws and no one has abused people's privacy for more harm than governments in the history of humanity and we're We're just just letting governments run wild so like that that, that, that's yeah yeah, 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 all the way back to the beginning of time. And one last thing, because we talked about it at the beginning, and I want to say it. the name of the movie I was talking about is called Long Shot. That's the baseball movie. It's a documentary. Um, and it's about a guy who was at a Dodgers game, got accused of murder. And um, the HBO show Curb Your Enthusiasm had a clip of a Dodgers game. And he shows up in that clip in the, in the audience at the Dodgers game. And that's how he was exonerated from this crime. He's also a Latino. And in the state of California, there's a tremendous propensity to over prosecute people of color. And uh, he had a zealous uh, uh, prosecutor who, to this day, even in light of that video, um, has been quoted as essentially still believing in that man's guilt. So just thought I'd put that out there. Super good documentary. I saw it a while ago. That's why I didn't remember the details. But long shot. You should watch what it. What do you think is sitting in the stands then? Uh, well, you know, hey, I, I'll tell you in private. So <laughs> I've got some ideas of how, like, the uh, you know some other person that he wants
0: to convict of something yeah.
1: well all latinos look the same as you know Andy. <laughs> yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> colin thanks for joining us buddy great
2: to see Thank you. you colin man this is wonderful awesome. conversation guys uh it's great to connect again uh, and i'm looking forward to seeing you in person <laughs>